0: Certainly not a soft and warm passage. You may be seated. We'll break it down uh, throughout the sermon. Uh, It it does uh, bring a lot of significance and meaning uh, to our own life and our own pursuit of success and identity. Uh, This week I was very saddened uh, to hear of this young, preeminent pastor uh, that, after taking a sabbatical, uh, never came back to ministry. Uh, He left the ministry. Uh, he left his spouse, and he abandoned the Christian faith, renounced the Christian faith altogether. Uh, we all have examples of people in our lives like that that have started things well but have ended things uh, very poorly. Uh, the story that we are looking at for the last couple of weeks, and this is the last week, it's almost like a series, a mini-series within the series in the book of Judges, looking at the life of Gideon, and what we learn from uh, this last chapter in the life of Gideon is that uh, the man who starts things well ends things poorly. Uh, As you recall, Gideon was called by God in a time of great need to be a leader and to deliver his people from the oppressions of the Midianites. He was a simple, humble, peasant man, and God turns turns him into this mighty warrior general, uh, who defeats the Midianite army with uh, only 300 men. 300 men. Uh, he uh, begins his life before he even goes to battle, right there in chapter 6, with worship. He worships God. Uh, in chapter 7, as God confirms the victory to him, as he goes down and he overhears the conversations and senses what's happening and taking place in the hearts of the Midianite soldiers, uh, after that confirmation, he also bows down and he worships God. But uh, this story ends in chapter 8, verse 27, which we did not read because it's a very long passage, but the text is printed there uh, in, in, in front of you if you have the, um, the Bible app or if you have, happen to have a Bible with you. In verse 27, uh, we read that in all Israel hoard after the uh, aphod that uh, Gideon had built and it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. Here's a man who starts things well but ends things poorly. Now, the hope for you, the hope for me, the hope for that pastor that I referred to in the beginning of the sermon is that our stories are not over yet. There's still time for redemption. There's still time to come back. There's still a possibility of finishing things well. So uh, as we look into the life of Gideon, how do we avoid some of the mistakes that led Gideon to his downfall so that we're also able to finish things well and not poorly like he did? Uh, Three things. I I believe that uh, we cannot forget, we must not forget grace. Uh, Secondly, we must not pursue an identity that can be achieved, but we must rest in the identity that is received. We must not forget grace. We must not pursue an identity that can be achieved, but we must rest in an identity that is received. Uh, Let's break that down. First, we must not forget grace. Gideon forgot grace after he comes back victorious from uh, the Midianite camp after, uh, you know, um, coming in with his 300 men and, and uh, you know, allowing the Midianite soldiers to flee and reconquering that territory. He goes back and he uh, is now chasing their kings. And he goes into this village. That's how the passage starts in, in verse 4. And he, he speaks to the leaders of this village in Succoth. And, uh, you know, you could sense that in Gideon there's this sense of arrogance, there's this sense of entitlement, because now he demands that the villagers and the leaders of the village feed his soldiers. And when he uh, receives a negative response, and you've got to understand that, uh, you know, as the leaders said to him, they said to him, hey, listen, where are the Midianite kings? Do you, st- do you, do you already have them in your hands? Have you completed victory? And he says, not yet. And so they said, well, we're not going to feed your soldiers that. You know, I understand what's going on in their heads, that if uh, they were uh, at that moment to feed Gideon's army and Gideon did not secure the victory in the end, did not win the battle and did not conquer and take hold of the Midianite kings, what would happen to them later? When the Midianites returned and they regrouped and reformed, they would have destroyed their village. So they're like, we don't know what to do. Uh, Unless you secure the victory, we can't really serve you because we will be seen as traitors. And he takes that as a personal offense. And he says, well, I'm going to go and I'm going to defeat them. And when I come back, I'm going to teach you guys a lesson. And in fact, he returns and he teaches them a lesson. Uh, We read there from verses 13 onward. And now the people, uh, they are enamored with Gideon, because he's this courageous, brave leader. He's a tough man now, from this peasant. He's now this, you know, gangster warrior, right? And he comes back, and the people want to crown him as king. Now, uh, Israel had received command from the Lord that uh, he, the God of Israel, would be in would have to be always their only king. And so Gideon says, you know, I turned down the offer. I appreciated that, the offer of being your king. May the Lord be your king. But then he says, well, but then I'll live like a king. And he begins to receive wealth, tremendous wealth from his people, right? And he ends his life corrupting the worship of God's people. He takes the worship from the place that it had to be offered to God, and he brings it to his own village, And he creates objects of worship. And and like I said in verse 27, the people begin to whore after that type of false, modified Jewish religion that Gideon now had created. As he lives in utter comfort and utter wealth, he forgot that the one who had uh, given him the victory. He had forgotten that the reason why he was a mighty warrior to begin with was because God said he was a mighty warrior. It was because God was the one who called him out of his insignificant life as the youngest son of the smallest clan and the weakest tribe of Israel. God was the one that called him. God was the one that empowered him, and God was the one that gave him victory. And yet he failed to acknowledge and recognize at the back end of his life, on the other side of success, that he had been a receptor of God's grace. Now, here's the truth for us. There may not be a book written about your life and your life's success or your failures or your life in general, but here's what I want to say. It's a guarantee that you have been a receptor of amazing heavenly gifts in your life, that you fail sometimes, we fail to recognize and to give God's cre- God credit for it. I come across people all the time that boast on their accomplishments. And they say, you know, the reason why I am successful today, the reason why I, uh, I have a good family, I have a, a healthy family, is because I made good decisions. And I work really, really, really hard. It's easy for us sometimes to look down at people that have not succeeded in life and make judgments upon their character They don't have good work ethics or they have poor decision-making, a poor decision-making process, and to boost ourselves. We're always doing that because we live in a culture that values achievement, that always says that hard work pays off. And so people that actually achieve some of their goals, they boast in their accomplishments. We see that in uh, our political leaders. We see that... Uh, In our uh, business leaders, we see that in our artists, we see that in our uh, sports celebrities. We're always listening to stories of people boasting in their hard work and boasting in their own accomplishments. And what we forget is that the reason why we have anything in our lives to begin with, it's not based just on our hard works and our good decision-making process, There are many other factors that come into play. And the fact that we are receptors of the grace of God, all that we have is a byproduct of the grace of God. Let me challenge you to think this way, that there are people around the world today that have worked as hard as you have, maybe even more than you have, that have made good decisions in life, but don't have a fraction of what you have. You are a receptor of God's grace, and you must recognize that. See, in the book of James, James reminds us that all is grace. He says this, that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights. You must not forget God's grace. You must remember God's grace on a daily basis. There are books now written, secular books actually, talking about the value of what it means to live a happy life. And a happy life is characterized, these books will tell you, in a life of gratitude. So how do, we, how do we remember grace? Three ways. We remember grace through worship. That's what we see in the beginning of Gideon's life. As he sees the grace of God being poured out on him, picking him you know, from and above all the others to lead God's people into victory and to become this great leader and judge of, of Israel, he worships God. When God confirms his calling and God confirms it, he worships God. So it starts with worship. And worship is not just something that we do on a Sunday-to-Sunday basis. It's got to be something that we do on a daily basis. That's why it's important for you to get to the Word and have a life of prayer and, and, and have a life, a lifestyle of worship to God because that allows you to be reminded on a daily basis That all is grace. Here's another way that you demonstrate uh, grace and you remember grace it's through humility. Uh, We see this arrogance now in the second half of Gideon's life, which is a characteristic that he has forgotten God. So, are you a humble person? Are you able to take criticism? Are you able to offer to people kind words? Are you someone that's easily offended? Humility is a characteristic of those who have experienced grace. Because they know that if it weren't for God, if grace was not poured in their lives, there would be no one and nobody and nothing. So humility. And then, and then thirdly, generosity. Generosity. Generosity is a characteristic of those who know that they are receptors of grace. Are you a generous person? Generous with your words? Are you generous with your time? Are you generous with your resources? Generosity answers the question whether you remember grace or you fail to remember grace. So remember grace. But then secondly, do not pursue an identity that can be achieved. Do not pursue an identity that can be achieved, but uh, receive the identity uh, that is received. Rest in that identity. Uh, why was, why was uh, Gideon a uh, mighty warrior to begin with? It was because God said so. Uh, God's opinion is the highest one and the biggest one that counts. Now, the, the interesting thing is that we live in a culture that tells us that the only identity, the true identity, is the one that can be achieved. Uh, I, I am a father of girls, and, you know, I've listened uh, to the Frozen song many, many, many times, <laughs> as you would have imagined. And actually, I heard that the, the, the movie, right, the, uh, the movie is coming out uh, uh, with, with real characters. I heard. I, I don't know if it's true or not, but uh, I heard through the grapevine that the movie is coming out. Uh, but, you know, in, 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 that, in that movie, there is uh, uh, a song that one of the princesses sing. It's the most famous uh, song uh, in, in the musical, the movie, and, and she says, and, in essence, I am abandoning that conception that people have had of me. I'm abandoning that identity that was handed over to me by my parents, by my society, and I am adopting an identity of my own that I have crafted for myself that makes me feel comfortable in my own skin, so I will let everything else go, right? That's the idea of the song. Now, uh, you know, when we when we hear stories of the heroic in, in our days, the stories of the heroic are the people that have broken away from their family values, from uh, that which their family or culture or faith have expected of them. And and, and they and they've and they've crafted this image of themselves. And they have been brave enough to live in it. Those are the stories that are celebrated today. Or the people that say, they know, I was born with this gender and I have had the courage to change my gender. I, I was born into this religion and I have had the courage to abandon this faith and this religion. I have uh, been expected to be a certain type of person by my family and by my culture. And I have thrown that away and I have crafted for myself an identity that I have chosen to live in and I am happy now, right? Those are the stories that are celebrated nowadays, an identity that is not received but an identity that is achieved. And what I want to challenge you today, if that is the narrative that you have bought into, that that that, that doesn't work, see, that uh, an identity that is... Uh, achieved as a fake identity. You know, num- number one, because at the end of the day, regardless of how you choose to live your life, regardless of the identity that you have tried to shape for yourself, you still depend on your culture for validation. We can't escape that. So I heard uh, Tim, Tim Keller one time uh, illustrate uh, this point, and he tells us a story, like an imaginary story of an Anglo-Saxon warrior. So I actually have a, a picture of an Anglo-Saxon warrior here to help you, uh, you, know, you know, dive into uh, this illustration. But he says, imagine uh, many centuries ago an Anglo-Saxon warrior walking through the streets of London. That's how the illustration goes. And uh, he senses within himself two types of, of feelings. He, he senses it, the, the feeling of anger and, and, and a desire to kill people. He, he loves doing that. And at the same time, he, he feels this same-sex attraction. W- what does he do w- when, when these two f- feelings come clashing? He says, well, the part uh, that, about anger and the desire to kill others and violence, the desire for violence, it's my real m- self. And, and, and then the other feeling that he, sh- he has for people of the same sex, he says, that's not myself. And so he chooses to repress that and to exalt the other because that's what his culture says a man and a warrior should be like. Now, now take the same young man today in the streets of London with the same types of feelings, those two conflicting feelings. What will he say? He says, well, uh, with the first one, I need some anger management classes, right? That's not my true self. But then he says, you know, this same-sex attraction, that's my true self. I'm going to pursue that, you see, because... We are culturally conditioned. Our identity is culturally constructed. And so it doesn't work. And here's the second thing. We all need external validation. Regardless of who you decide to be and whatever identity you try to achieve for yourself, right, which you think at the end will bring you significance and happiness and, and value, you still need someone other than yourself affirming you. There is a, uh, a powerful line in one of the, the, the Lord of the Rings uh, books uh, from J.R. Tolkien where he says that the praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards. We're all looking for the people that uh, are praiseworthy in our lives, our bosses, our parents, our spouses, even our children, And we're longing, we're coveting their praise because their praise is above all reward. See, uh, for Gideon, it was not enough to be praised by God, to be loved by God, to be empowered by God, to be an instrument in God's hands. He still needed the validation of his people. And that's what we see becomes the corruption of of this character in the Bible. He ends his story receiving the worships and the praise and the wealth of the people that he seeked validation from. And that's the story, my friends, of, of many of us here today. God's opinion for you should be the one that counts the most, and it doesn't. And you're looking at other things and other people for the validation that your soul longs that you can only receive from God. But beyond the fact that uh, the uh, the achieved identity being a lie, being a fake identity, uh, the achieved identity is detrimental to ourselves. It's destructive. Why? Because it disables us. From handling praises and criticism in our lives, see uh, what happens is this: is when your identity is not grounded in God, and it, it's it's based on something that you are pursuing—that you know, whether it's work or whether it's image or whether it's power. Your success, when you experience success will go to your head. You know, it's, it's very common for us uh, to hear people that have been successful in business, for instance, or successful in making money, think of themselves as successful in every other area of their lives. They think that because they've been successful in making money, they're successful, period. They think that because they are important in a specific industry. They think that they are important, period. And then sometimes you see them giving advice in areas that they have no expertise in. If you have been successful in business and in making money, why are you giving me advice on relationships? You're as messed up as I am. You see what I'm saying? One thing does not translate to the other. And this is what happens with Gideon here. Success goes to his head. And he begins to see of himself greater than he actually is. And he now begins to live his life with this deep sense of entitlement of, of how he treats people and how he treats God in the worship of God. But also, when, when success doesn't happen, when you fail, when you receive criticism, see, this criticism is not just an assessment for you to ponder and to gain more self-awareness, but it becomes a blow to your root as a person. It, it, it passes right through you. It goes through your heart. And, and, and when you're criticized as a professional or as a parent, if you have made being a parent uh, your ultimate and significant achievement in life, or if you have made your career your ultimate and significant uh, achievement in life, it, it, it's not just a, a criticism on you as a professional or, not, or as you as a parent, but it's a criticism to the self. It goes right straight to your heart. And you're deeply, deeply, deeply offended. This achieved self is, is destructive and detrimental because it also makes us overwork. It hurts our bodies and our health, and it hurts our families. How many of us have uh, destroyed our, our marriages, destroyed the lives of our children? How many of us have destroyed our health for overworking because we believe that putting all that time and putting all that effort and putting all that energy in that specific cause would bring us value, significance, and meaning and happiness in life? And it has brought much to the contrary, Beyond that, uh, uh, we now begin to exchange uh, the quick reward for the lasting reward. See, uh, one interesting thing to hear about Gideon's life is the last thing that is said about him is, is, is what matters. The way he finishes, the way he ends his life, that's what matters. His legacy Yes is of a man that was used by God as a mighty warrior, but if you read the Bible carefully, it's a man that started that way and ended very differently. It's a man that abandoned God. It's a man that led his people away from God. As we read in verse twenty-seven, you know, many times that's that's uh, the consequence of buying into this lie that we must live for a self that must be achieved or an identity that can be achieved in our culture. Because of that, many of us have chosen paths and careers that don't necessarily help the, the human race to flourish or that is in line with our personal calling, but it, because it brings immediate profit and recognition and status. We exchange a lasting reward for a quick reward. And, and lastly... Uh, uh, the pursuit of a self that can be achieved uh, ends up destroying our self altogether. I remember years ago reading this uh, article in the New York Times about this young woman uh, who had retired at the age of forty. She was a businesswoman. I think she was a CFO of a corporation, and and uh, and she retired at the age of forty after making a fortune and a name for herself. And people were looking at her and says, "Man, this is." an amazing story. Our lives sh- should be modeled after yours. And, and then she says, yeah, but, but it really didn't work. Because after she left, after she left her career and settled as a mother, a, a, as a wife, th- this is what she writes in that article. She says this, when I left my job, it devastated me I couldn't just rally and move on. I did not know how to value who I was versus what I did. What I did was who I was. You see, you cannot see yourself apart from that which you have made an object of worship, a priority in your life. You have lost yourself altogether. How many people do you know that after leaving or retiring from work or, or, or being fired. They cannot live with themselves anymore because they needed the praise of other people. They needed the recognition. They needed that income. They needed that money. They needed the ability to live life in a certain standard, according to a certain standard. How many athletes do you know that after, you know, you see that specifically sometimes in boxers and fighters, that, you know, after, a, you know, a really long winning streak, when they lose, And especially if they lose poorly, they can't get back up again because that defeat was a blow to their roots. It was not like a tree. It was not just a blow to their branches, but it was a blow to their roots as a person. They cannot live with defeat. Sometimes they cannot recover because they cannot see themselves unless they see themselves in a specific light according to their vision of success. That's what happens when... Uh, when success becomes your identity in life. So how do we find an identity that is not achieved but is received? And how do we rest in that identity? I love the fact that uh, what we read in chapter 6, that before being called a mighty warrior, the angel of the Lord, as he approaches Gideon, he says that God is with him. The first thing that Gideon hears from God through that angel is not that, you know, I'm, I'm going to make you this amazing leader, but, it, but God says to him, ah, I love you. Why am I with you if I did not love you? That's the first thing that he listens, that he hears from God. The word of affirmation that he is loved by the creator of God of the universe and As his story progresses, that's exactly what God is doing with all the tests and all the proofs and all the affirmations that come after that because he is doubting himself and others are probably doubting him. God is coming to him over and over and over again and reassuring him of his love for him. And I imagine, you know, reading this last chapter of Gideon's life, what would his life have looked like had he really truly believed that he was unconditionally loved by God. How would things have ended for Gideon had he truly believed this message? For one, I I don't think that he would have been deeply offended when questioned by the people of Sukkoth and Peniel whether he could finish the job. He wouldn't have been deeply offended by that. That wouldn't have been taken personal. That wouldn't have been a blow to his identity. He, he wouldn't have had the need uh, within the mission that God had given him to pursue personal vengeance because he's doing that. See, when he, when he gets to the Midianite kings, we read later on, when he gets to the Midianite kings, he wants to humiliate the Midianite kings. And he asks his young son to take the sword and, and to kill the Midianite kings. And, and the boy is obviously scared and he's shaking in his boots. So he actually goes there and he actually kills and slaughters the two Midianite kings. But before doing so, he reminds the Midianite kings that they had also killed his brother. And he says, that's why I'm doing this. And that's why I want to humiliate you in your death. We can tell that, you know, his objective and conquering the Midianites, at the end of the day, it was not completely pure. In his sinful heart, there was still a desire for vengeance. And that wouldn't be there. That would not have been there had he truly believed that he was loved by God, that God was with him. And he would have not been comfortable with receiving the worship and the praises and the comforts that the people gave him after he secured peace and victory for them. He would have been very uncomfortable with that. You know, if Gideon truly believed that he was loved by God, he would have ended his life well. and We would have had a different story in front of us here today. And now my, I want to turn that question to you. How would you live your life? Can you imagine how would you live your life if you truly believed that you were unconditionally loved by God, how would you live your life? How would you handle criticism? How would you handle failure? How would you handle hardships? How would you handle conflict in life? How would you handle work? I bet that it would be very different than how you handle today. Because there would not be this need in you to always be right in conflict. There would not be this need in you when it comes to your work and career to prove yourself to others and prove your worth and prove your value. When people criticized you, it wouldn't be a blow to your roots. It wouldn't go straight to your heart because you would be secure in this love. And you would know that you still matter and that you're still okay and that you're still loved, and that can't be taken away from you. And the good news, my friends, today is that the gospel of Jesus Christ offers us this affirmation the possibility, think about this, the possibility to live life knowing without reasonable doubt that I am unconditionally loved by the Creator God of the universe. That before anything that I can accomplish, before any title that can be slapped onto my name, I am loved. I am loved. See, and that's what makes a Christian a Christian. What makes a Christian a Christian? A Christian is someone that understands that before his race, that before his political views, that before his socioeconomic status... He is someone or she is someone that's unconditionally loved by the creator God of the universe. That's what makes a Christian a Christian. And a Christian gets that confidence in the cross of Jesus Christ where Jesus exchanged his identity with us. See, we read in 2 Corinthians 5 the following... That for our sakes, he, Jesus, he, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus on the cross is made a sinner. He received our failed identity. We've tried to achieve a successful identity, but we failed in the process. That's an identity that can be thrown away, but Jesus takes that identity upon himself. On the cross, he becomes our substitute so that we can receive his identity as beloved children of God. And if you are able to tap into that identity, if that identity for you not only is something that makes sense and true, but it's actually real, it's deeply embedded in your heart, that you know without... Any doubt that you are loved before anything, that gives you not only the strength to start things, but it gives you the strength and the power to finish things well. And I pray that today you would encounter this identity that is not achieved, but it's an identity that is received. That You would receive that identity and you would rest in that identity. You would dwell in that identity. You would exist in that identity of a beloved child of God through Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, we are grateful, uh, and we confess that uh, we forget grace and that we spend our lives running after an identity that can be achieved and fail to rest in the identity that is received. Father, may our hearts rest in that today, in this identity that is received, can be received freely through the costly work of Jesus. on the cross. Uh, Father, that uh, we would come to that understanding, that you would lead us to repentance, and that we would live in newness of life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.